Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It didn't register. Like, sometimes my computer freezes up. Um, and I thought it went through. I don't Recorded know. live. Yeah, I missed that. I never heard the recording live. I, I, I remember not hearing it. And I think we got into a little tangent well, on the. Yeah, cast. I was wait. I was waiting for us to start talking, talking. To right. Us. Yeah. Oh well. I no couldn't. Get, I mean, I I told this guy it'd be early this morning, but I don't know. I don't think he's he never, he never responded to the message. So. Yeah. Know, so I felt bad about that. But. I like Mozgov. You know, here's the thing. No, I like him too, so I agree. But here's the thing with this black guy. <laughs> I don't understand. So you get players that play for another team in the NBA, but he's he's saving these guys minutes like like they like they were playing, you know what I'm saying, somewhere else or they're coming off injury. They were just playing 40 minutes or whatever they were playing for the Knicks and the and the Nuggets. Let J.R. Smith and Mozgov play. Who else you got? Joe Harris? You know what I'm saying? Like, I was so upset last night watching that game. He doesn't bring Moscow back in in that fourth quarter when they needed him because that's what I, I've watched Golden State play a lot. They love playing small, so anytime that they can keep Draymond out there at the four spot and right. the team will try to match up with them small, you give them the advantage. Right? Yeah, because Draymond's the best just small big man in the league. And I, I'm starting to think I don't think the problem is so much David Black as making decisions. I don't think we got a coaching staff working at full capacity together. Either he doesn't trust them or they're not communicating effectively because between Larry Drew, Tyrone Liu, the players, I mean, Rajah Bell, I mean, people that just work for the Cavs that have seen basketball, hell, David Griffin should know this shit. Like, you know, Golden State wants to play small. You know what I'm saying? That's when they're at the when they can keep they can they can then take Draymond out, send in Harrison Barnes, he'll play that fourth spot. You know what I'm saying? That keeps them not having to play big where it slows down the game for them. Yeah. So I don't like this is like this ain't nothing one on one. Who they play uh, the the Sixers game I'm not even going to. What was the oh the Rockets game. Okay. James Harden doesn't play for eight minutes in the fourth quarter, but then you don't bring J. R. Smith back in the game. What what you got to lose, man? This guy's like right. he's coaching. Like, yeah, that's that's exactly it. He's coaching to win something that he can't win, and he he should be coaching not to lose. That's it. Just play, guys, man. Just let them play. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, and I'm sick of hearing process, but it's a process, I guess. But see, my thing, it's fine if it's a process, but if I don't see any growth in the process, that ain't a process. You know what I'm saying? We're going through well, the Yeah. You know I what I'm saying? Like, I think for him, to, he, he's trying to find it by observing it, and you can't do that in the NBA. At least not, I mean, you can do it if the management's going to allow you. It wouldn't happen if I was a GM of that squad. I would go in there and talk to that guy and say, man, you got to start making some adjustments during these games. Yeah, you can't, you can't just like wait to figure it out over another five games or so. It reminds me of the Mike Brown era when Mike Brown used to start off the seasons and we would start off slow 
and we would have the problems in the third quarter, and this guy would never adjust the matchups. It, it's the same type of thing. We're losing these games. Going in, that stretch with a minute to go at the end of the third quarter, they were down by five. And literally three possessions to end the quarter and then two possessions to start were down by 11 with yeah, 11 the, minutes to go in the fourth quarter. That will kill you every time. Yeah, the most important time in any basketball game is the first two minutes and the last two minutes of every quarter. So, you can win those, so those, those minutes, then you've got a good chance to win it. It's just so know. frustrating. And I think it, until LeBron gets back, it's going to – we're not going to really know what's going on here. There's just, so see, that's many not even a LeBron problem because LeBron actually molds it up a little bit, and it's not a disrespect to him because he holds the ball so much. So, like, this is a rotation matchup problem. Right, that's what, what I'm talking about. Even when but when you got LeBron, back. though, when you got LeBron out there, he's going to keep LeBron. Here's the thing. We still got the same problem. This guy's playing too many minutes, too. LeBron's playing too many minutes. That's what I'm saying. It's you got to get LeBron back back in the mix and figure out what the rotation is. We don't have any sort of continuity. We got all these players, you know. Now none of them have played each other. And by the way, Kyrie is fucking balling out. Man is diving yeah. all over the place. He's he's it ain't playing. His fault. It ain't his no, fault. it ain't yeah. his fault. He he is selling out on every play. Yeah, that's a great yeah. point because it ain't that guy's fault. He's playing as hard as he can play, no matter who's out there, who's available. Um, Kevin Love had the stretch of the three games when all those guys were out and played huge. I still think they can't. They, that's the other problem I got with this guy. I don't understand how you can't figure out how to use Kevin Love. Like, I'll yeah, tell you what, I mean, I'm starting to I, think I that Kevin Love is and all that. No, uh, no, he, he is. really is. He is. You just got. It's one of these things. He's got to know how to be. You just got to know how to use him. I saw something last night. You know who's who's good with him last night, and it, it literally they ran it for a second in the second quarter. J.R. Smith is real good with that guy in a pick and roll because he's used to, I guess, playing with Carmelo. Like, you know what I'm saying? And that is that mid-post action, pick and roll on that wing. They they literally, he found Kevin Love in a spot, just threw the ball over his head, and it was just so natural. And I seen it, and it made me think about it because that's where Carmelo plays in that mid-post, about 18 feet right underneath the three-point line. That's where Melo likes the ball at. So he kind of knows that. Like, you just got to have somebody out there that knows where he likes the ball instead of trying to, change the whole offense to focus around him. It's got to be a two-man game. Yeah, That's where and I, I think got, he and I, Kevin Love can't stand at the three-point fucking line and be a spot-up shooter. We need to get him the ball in the post, and he's got to be able to rebound. I mean, he's had one game, one, a couple games that were over 15 rebounds, it feels like. He had 14 rebounds last night. It didn't look like it. He gets the rebounds. Here, here's yeah. the thing with him. that Here's my criticism of the guy. And people talk about the defense. I don't care about that. I just want to see effort. And I tell you like this, this guy's got to have four or five more. He's got to have four or five fouls a game. The guy doesn't use his fouls, and that's what i got a problem with. Yeah, he's not physical. He doesn't – you know, is he a good player? Is he a really good player? Yeah. Is he a max player? Could we – I don't know. Is there a better fit than Kevin Love for this team out there that we could put a max player on? You know, instead of signing I, Kevin I Love just to think the max? Too, I, I think if you press the it's, – it's about pressing the buttons, and that's why I say it's easier. See, the LeBron rotation, you know what that can always be because you can fit anybody on a court when he's on the court. You know what I'm saying? You can work around that and match up against – that's why I say it's not that important to get him back. Well, I would say rotation-wise. What I'm thinking, you've got to figure out what rotations work without LeBron on the court 
Like, so that second unit, if you've got to play big, give me the big rotation. Is it going to be Tristan, Mozgov? You know well, what I'm saying? JR. Look, yeah, JR is going to be think. part of that second unit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, you got to – this is the time to figure it out now, though, without LeBron. Right. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what he needs. And I don't see him playing with that part of it. And see, that's what I'm saying. So I can't wait till LeBron gets back, and then you're trying to figure out the second-team rotation and stuff. You can nail that down right now. It just yeah, I use agree. the bodies that you got. I don't understand why this guy like bring Brendan Haywood in the game for three minutes. Like what? Who is it hurting, man? Like the guy. Yeah, just, I, I just I I've never seen anybody struggle with something so simple. Like you know what I'm saying? James Jones last night on the court with for all those minutes doing absolutely nothing out there just killed him. But you got to use him in spurts. Like you, certain guys got to play in spurts. Like that guy's been good in spurts. And here's the thing about James Jones. Honestly, I saw something from his game. Is you can do um, they showing Urban and these guys getting on the buses. You, you you can you can use James Jones in the post actually on these small guards. The guy's got a little bit of a post game. You invert the guard like it's he just doesn't have to sit like you're talking about Kevin Love sitting on the three point line. He doesn't have to just sit on the three point line. Like you've got to make the other team like you know like so like they they think James Jones is going to sit on a sit on the three-point line. Okay, so you put James Jones in the post a couple plays when he's out there. That changes the dynamic. So when you got that rotation, so let's say it's just James Jones, J.R. Smith, and you got Tristan out there, maybe Brendan Haywood. You don't got a lot of offense out there. You know what I'm saying? So you do something like that for a couple minutes. There's ways to buy minutes in the NBA and keep your game going. This guy, But I don't see any of that. I see him observing, like waiting for the moment for something to jump out at him rather than, you know what I'm saying, being active. I don't know if that's his coaching style or whatever, but the act ain't going to last long in Cleveland. That's all I know. Well, and your point resonates in the fact that that's what this guy was sold as, the guy that can come up with creative offensive sets, use players in the right positions, uh, you know, have passing offense. You know, I haven't seen any of that all year. It, they have some of the best. They, they at times, at times they have some of the best spacing in the NBA. At other times they don't. But I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I think that you're right on with the assistant coaches, and I, I think there's gonna there's uh, the beginning of a rift in the locker room. I don't know. If it's a, see, I don't think it's a rift. I just don't think it's jelly. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think. I think know, that's. I think there's certain players going to Tyrone Lue behind David Blatt's back. Yeah, I mean, I, that, I, think I, mean there's but, teaming, I think there's guys that are Tyrone Lue guys that are, you know, expressing their displeasure, and I think there's some guys on there that have David Blatt's back. But I don't hear anybody coming out, and whether that's Dan. I mean, Griffin came out, but I, 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 where's the owner? Well, I mean, this guy's done what he could do. I mean, literally, yeah. until they cut A.J. Price the other day, they were, you know what I'm saying, over the cap for a second. I mean, this guy, he, he's cut the checks. I mean, I tell you, I was at that Dallas Mavericks game. Guys got the best fan experience, I think, in the NBA. <laughs> I mean, they were giving away, they were giving away more crap at that Cavs game. I thought it was the Price is Right um, <laughs> between every timeout and everything. So I, I, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, literally, they had uh, Ohio lottery scratch-offs dropping from the ceiling. So it's literally money dropping from – the ceiling. So I'm not going to <laughs> down my, this uh, Dan Gilbert guy. I just, it, it, to me, it's the X's and O's of basketball. Um, you know, it's only so many people in there. 
in that room, and those guys know where it begins to start. The roster has improved. I mean, this is the things we talked about in the summer before LeBron, so I'm happy with the roster. Um, I just and I just need to see it come together when it comes to the, the guys play hard in spurts and stuff like that, but we need to see them get to a level that they can sustain. I think that's the most important thing. Sustain a style of gameplay, sustain, you know, an intensity that they come out with every night because that's what's going to lead you to be able to go deep into the playoffs and, uh, you know, at some point then be a a, a, a champion of the uh, NBA, of the association. So. And we're going to be under 500 by the time LeBron gets back. And we got Sacramento coming up. So, you know, we got Sacramento, the Lakers. I mean, you know, we lose to those teams, then you'll hear me really – Start, you know, we'll we'll not. I know where the panic button is, but we might have to go ahead and you know put some pressure on that thing and you know go halfway down on it. So. Yeah, I think uh, we're pretty much done though with moves, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that was it. I mean, um, they might move Brendan Haywood, but I think they save him. So yeah, but I think the I think the roster is good now, as long as everybody can get healthy. Um, Shumpert's about two weeks from coming back. New York was a buddy as we got. I think you might as well wait and bring that guy back after the all-star break. Make sure that he's completely healed. Do you think uh, Boston cuts Tayshon? I don't know what that I, I just was looking at that trade, um, moving Jeff Green to Memphis, which I think that gives them the extra scoring punch that they need. Quincy Pondexter going to the Pelicans. Um, I think they probably do cut Tayshon because they don't want to win. So and then well, that's the Yeah, but then you got a you got a log jam of guys trying to get minutes. Um because then you I mean that literally we we got almost too many guards. Tayshawn, Sean Marion, I mean, you know Is Shumpert the same player as Tayshawn? Similar styles? Not as good as shooter. He's smaller. Not as good a shooter. a little bit smaller, but not as good I mean, of course not as good a shooter, but Tayshawn right now is like he reminds me of kind of uh, Bruce Bowen at the uh, like Bruce Bowen during his career. That's kind of what Tayshon's role is coming to now. But yeah, you know, a better, a better, a better playmaker though. Just a smart. Play. I've always liked Tayshon Prince's game since he was at Kentucky. Would you rather have him or James Jones on the team? James Jones is not going anywhere though. Yes, I would rather have Tayshon than James Jones. But I mean, you know, that's what you we we got the King's Court when you got your guy LeBron right. James back. So you're not going right. to see. Mike Miller or James Jones get dealt. You know what I'm saying? This, this year, I would say this year, not for this season. I would say that yeah. way. Yeah. All right. Yeah, the Cavs, but the Cavs play so well. Like they were step for step, shot for shot with Golden State, the most high powered offense in the NBA. I mean, they both scored, I think, 60 points in the first half. I mean, that's unreal. So you know. And that's the only thing I was screaming for last night. That's why I wanted Mozgov back in the game. I want to see the semblances of what we can try to do on defense. Um, the Cavs are terrible on rotations on defense. God, they're so bad. So that's something else. And that, that comes to coaching, too. Um, and that comes to Tyrone Ludo. Tyrone Ludo is the one who's supposed to be this defensive guru. Lord knows he couldn't stop Iverson in game two at the Lakers-Sixers final. But, I mean, <laughs> right. uh, I don't know. All right. That's enough on the basketball. I'll, I'll use that. <laughs> yeah, use it. We're going. Uh... The one other thing on the Cavs that I'm wondering 
how much of this is the product of all these moving parts? New coach, never in the NBA, LeBron, all these players that have never played together, the, the love, Kyrie. Are we underestimating the amount of time that that takes? Or are we not being patient enough? Of course we are. Of course we are. Okay. We're fans. Okay. Uh, we're fans. Right. Even the, the writers. Right. I mean, everybody, the thing is, everybody wants to root for LeBron James, even the folks that aren't from Cleveland or whatnot. You see what happened in Miami. It took a year or so for the hate to, you know, die down. But, um, you know, everybody wants to root for this guy. People want to see this guy. People want this guy to dominate. You know, they want him yeah. to dominate the league. They want him. So, and with that, I mean, nobody wants him more than a Cleveland Cavalier. So I think that's why it's hard. You know, when we watch it, um, and just watching these games, because and, and the other thing is, nothing's lost right now. I, I, I'll tell you this: I feel yeah. real good about a lot of things we talked about on the NBA preview show. One of them is that I think Detroit will make the playoffs. Um, the Atlanta Hawks can they sustain this level? The Atlanta Hawks are the best team Man. in the NBA. Crazy, huh? So you think Jeff you think about that? They are the it. best team. All the West Coast teams. As much stuff yeah. is said about the East versus the West in the NBA, you know the Atlanta Hawks are the best team in the NBA right now. So it's yeah. about, and that's why I said it's important for the Cavs to find that style of play and then be able to sustain it. You know that's right. that's the whole thing. And even with that, that's the thing I loved about that team that you know with Mo Williams and those guys that won sixty plus games that year, um, even though they were out in the Eastern Conference Finals to Orlando. It, that team found the style of play, and they were able to sustain it. And as you remember, LeBron was hurt at the beginning of that that season. You know, so he had missed like four or five games with a, a ankle sprain. Also, to that season, um, they were struggling. They lost. I think they had lost. This was before LeBron got hurt. They had lost two or three games in a row, and people were going nuts. Um, you know, but they finally found it. That's why Mike Brown's team started off slow. But once you find it, then you can keep it. You can buy it. So that's why I say, like, we talk about, okay, so you're trying to worry about Kevin Love. We're worried about David Blatt asserting himself. We're worried about if the coaching staff is working together as a unit. We're worried about these guys' defensive rotations and what they're learning on defense. We're worried about guys taking good shots when we're talking about bringing in a J.R. Smith. And, you know, J.R. Smith had 23. Let's say this. He finished with 27 points, and it looks like, okay, well, the Cavs got blown out kind of in the fourth quarter. Not really, but they were down by double digits, at least 11 points most of the fourth quarter so you think maybe J.R. Smith was gonna no he had that 20 he had 23 from probably about eight minutes um into the third quarter and the first half he had 23 points so the guy had a great game last night but he still took some bad fucking shots I mean like I I hate these shots off the one leg like it just like but you get that with him so it's working with him um and plus he can't guard me (laughs) <laughs> watching J.R. Smith, he can guard, but watching J.R. Smith, you know what's something he does that frustrates me? I hate guys that close out on shooters and they run and jump. He got pump fake so hard a couple times by Clay Thompson. I mean, one time like, he sent this guy, J.R. Smith, in the third row with a shot fake. I mean, yeah, you can't do that, man. Yeah, I mean, you've been in the league too long. That's a rookie thing. Like, Joe Harris does that. I'm not going to get on Joe Harris about that. I'll get on that guy about coming in yes, you playing seven minutes and not scoring. But, you know what I'm saying? I mean, so. Right. Uh, a lot, lot of moving parts. I guess the bottom line is that, you know, all this stuff we've been talking about here, there, there's a lot of it, you know, so we need to start checking some things off the list to get some stability, it almost feels like. 
Yeah, I look for the Cavs to come out after the All-Star break. That's going to be the barometer. The Cavs are going to need to win, I mean, 30 games, if not more. The Cavs have yeah. to be in that top four to host a, at least the first round of the playoffs, uh, host, have home court for the first round of the playoffs. So they're going to need to win 30, 20, I mean, I'll give them 25 to 30 games, but they're going to have to, they're going to, have to find their stride after that All-Star break and find it real fast. So, from, um, and from I think today that's going to be on. important. From today on, you're, you're talking about you got to win 65% of your games probably to be in the top four. But that's not hard when you play against the Eastern Conference competition. That's so It's not right. like something that's daunting. It's just getting it done. You can't lose games to the Sixers, flat out, especially yeah. when you're up by exactly. 17 points. Yeah. I don't care who's on the court. And that that cut, but if I'm uh, here's another problem I got with David Black. I talked about Kevin Love not using his files. David Black's got to get a technical at some point. Hey man, I mean he's from fucking Boston. You would think that he's got a little bit of a hot temper. I mean you you just you just gotta you gotta go. I mean some call that goes. I, it was a one game. I can't remember what the game was, but LeBron James had an awful call go against him, and he was arguing with the way the way he's learned to do. It was one of the things we used to complain about Detroit when the Cavs were going up against them in those days when the the Rip Hamilton and Rasheed Wallace, those guys were the best as a team, crying to the rest. Well, LeBron's picked that up from being down in Miami, but David, uh, he was, it was a he play. Was a, <laughs> it, I know what it was. It was, a, it was a foul. It was a foul on LeBron. It should have been a flagrant, and David Black should have got a technical over. The Cavs were up in that game, so it wasn't like it would have hurt the situation. Um, no, I just think that would go a long way to show he's behind the team, you know. Right, it's exactly what I was going to say. It shows the players that you got their back. You know, it's not a matter of, you know, convincing a ref. Just get out there and fucking look angry and get thrown out of a fucking game. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it's one of the things my old high school coach used to do. He used to, I mean, it's kind of like what you saw Beheim do is launch that jacket. <laughs> he used to launch, right. the, he used to launch the blazer. I mean, and that was the greatest thing as managers. You had to try to catch this jacket. You know, what I'm saying, make sure he had it for the next game. <laughs> but you, it just, it just brings a team together. It, it can galvanize a team. You either gonna win or lose that game. But beyond that, I think it's just like you said, it can bring them together. So, uh, right. looking forward to the Cavs making this run. Love the Mozgov, waiting to see Shumper. J.R. Smith, I mean, 27 points on a night against the Golden State Warriors. I mean, when nobody else was really scoring, he led the Cavs in scoring. So, yeah. I mean, what else can you ask for him? Um, and shout-out to Deion Waiters. You know, we 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 uh, say F you to the haters, and Deion Waiters was balling out for OKC. And uh, <laughs> you saw the clip. Yes, again, Kevin Durant right? gave this guy – Kevin Durant gave this guy a chest bump, and I mean, I guess he didn't expect it to be that physical because the guy went, but he took like five. He was in the third row. (laughs) He put him in the third row. (laughs) But uh, yeah, you know the one looks like it's a good situation for him. So uh, I I think will help Blatt a lot is the fact that him and Mozgov have uh, the experience. At least he, you know, has one player on his roster that he's coached before. Yeah, and and that that definitely should um and it should help Mozgov get in with a lot of guys. The one thing I like about this team now too, Jer- and this is one thing I thought about with Black too. J.R. Smith is kind of like the guys that he would end up getting over there. You know, kind of a knucklehead guy, a lot of talent, um, but couldn't put it all together to stay in the NBA. J.R. Smith has, don't get me wrong, um, but I'm saying the guys that ended up over in Europe and whatnot, some issue keeps them from you know. Uh, playing their way, keeping their way in the league. So I, this team resembles more of, I think, what he's used to now. 
um, especially with Mozgov having a guy that he wanted to coach. And Mo- Mozgov's side, Mozgov had eight and nine in limited minutes as far as I'm concerned last night. Um, mm-hmm. Had some shots rejected by Bogut and Draymond Green. But, you know, um, so uh, we got to get this guy some protein shanks uh, or get him on the Drago diet, one or the other. But <laughs> we, we, we need uh, – we need the the mon- we need the monster to uh, definitely play a little stronger. But he uh, showed good luck, and he runs the floor well. That's one thing for a big man. Yeah, I like to see that. So, I'm happy with the Cavs uh, overall. You know, I, I I just like meaningful basketball. I know that sounds a little bit. Uh, I know we want the championship and everything else, but I'm happy with the Cavs right now. I might not be happy when the year year ends up. But yeah, you know, right. it's just it, 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 when you hear me get a little angry, it's just frustration. That's all it is. It's just frustrating because I think certain things can be fixed easily. Yeah. I'm actually happy with the the trades. I, I I think Griffin did a good job, believe it or not, with the two trades that he made. Yeah, I've been on this guy. I've been on this guy very hard because I thought he could have been aggressive. He he, he finally got. I mean, we're, he got it done before the All Star break. I mean, time to spare to the All-Star break. It wasn't like a last-minute, you know, trade deadline deal. So very happy with that. Cavs got a little room before the All-Star break to grow, and then after that All-Star break, definitely come out on all cylinders. So, Um, And we're definitely pushing Kevin Love, LeBron James, and Kyrie Irving to stay in that big three. Uh, John Wall is leading that All-Star voting right now as starting point guard, so we might not see Kyrie there. And there is not one member of the Atlanta Hawks voted into the fan vote of the All-Star break, considering they are, as we said before, the leading team. So we're hoping the Hawks make the All-Star game. Uh, Kyrie Irving is actually behind both John Wall and Kyle Lowry right now. So let's get out there and vote for Uncle Drew. John Wall was balling last night against uh, the Bulls. Yeah, no, they blew those guys out. John Wall was great. All right. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. We're talking Cleveland Cavaliers. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Columbus. Let's talk some Cavs. All right, we're just going to have an open conversation about what's been going on with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, just some of our thoughts and reactions to, the, of course, the trades. We now have J.R. Smith, Timothy Moskov, and Iman Shumpert. In the fold, we say goodbye to Dion Waiters and Alex Kirk, Lou Amundsen, and A.J. Price, who was waived to keep the Cavs underneath the salary cap. Uh, very excited about the roster. Not so excited with the results that we've seen. The Cavs have dropped, have won one game out of six since LeBron has went down, and they have dropped seven straight in a row. So we, it's not the best situation right now. Cavs on a losing streak and dangerously close to going under 500. Well, as always, enjoy your NBA action. We know it's fantastic. Everybody up. And as always, go Cleveland Cavaliers. Go Cavs, Cavs Nation, La Familia. Enjoy your ball nights. I don't know, something like that. All right, let's get into this Ohio. We're, we're going to do, do Ohio State real quick. It's just going to be fast, man, because we, I don't know. It, it'll be what it is. This is with an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. National Championship Preview Show. I am D. Cleveland born and raised, 
Buckeye, born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Columbus. National Championship Buckeyes Ducks. Let's go. We don't give a duck, but we'll get to that very soon. Um, the Ohio State Buckeyes are in the national championship to face the Oregon Ducks Monday night, January twelfth, eight p.m. Be there. Have your be there in Dallas. Be there on your couch. Be there in front of the TV at your favorite local watering hole. But make sure that you got eyes and you're supporting Ohio's national championship contender the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, we want to start this show with a little rundown, give you an idea. We're just going to recap, of course, the great win in the Sugar Bowl, talk about the little experience down there and what the Buckeyes did to uh, finally topple the end of a great run against the SEC teams on New Year's Day. Then we're going to go into the – we're going to recap Oregon versus Florida State real quick. Then we're looking at the big boy, and we're going to tell you why the Ohio State Buckeyes beat the Oregon Ducks for the national championship. Ohio State, Alabama, Sugar Bowl. We're talking Bayou. We're talking Superdome. The Ohio State Buckeyes go into the SEC country and exercise some demons in the land of voodoo, and they put it on the Crimson Tide. I mean, this is one of these games that was clearly an instant classic, uh, clearly a a debaucherous end for what was known as the SEC, and it definitely cemented what the program is. The Buckeyes as the four seed getting into the college football playoff, taking out the number one seed. The Ohio State Buckeyes beat Alabama 42-35. to And just a beautiful game all around, uh, you know, except for the first quarter. Uh, even the first quarter, we moved the ball at will, uh, just couldn't get it into the end zone, uh, had the big fumble by Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, so Alabama obviously up 21-6, to but after that, uh, 28 unanswered. And the Buckeyes pretty much dominated that game, uh, especially in the trenches. Uh, there was no – it, to me, there, it was a big disadvantage. Ohio State's size and speed uh, from sideline to sideline plus their size was just – it was better than Alabama. I think that was the bottom line. That's what we said going into the preview show. Ohio State was just the better roster, the better speed. Uh, so uh, it wasn't a huge surprise. Obviously, we had called it. Uh, we have our our Homer uh, slant to it. But, uh, hey, when you're right, you're right. Well, I think we laid it out logically, though, in the preview that we gave you for the Sugar Bowl. And I, I know, and thank you, everybody that listened to that. Uh, we know it got a tremendous response, and it was well-received. And I think the reason why is just because we were laying out the facts. Uh, this is with an Ohio bias, of course, but, you know, it, it's just one of these things. Sometimes you just got to look at the way it was, and the Buckeyes overcame adversity. You talk about the Ezekiel Elliott fumble. That guy came out of nowhere and caught it easy slipping, but also, to the miscommunication with Devin Smith, that interception. So you think the Buckeyes went down with two turnovers, gave Alabama the short field after kind of stifling them with the silver bullets to start the game. And then we see the tremendous – we saw the tremendous run by Zeke Elliott, and then we saw the play of plays. When we told you Urban Meyer and Tom Herman were going to throw the kitchen seat at Nick Saban and then Kirby Smart in that defense – where we saw Evan Spencer with the throw to Michael Thomas to end the half. I mean, the Buckeyes, it felt like the Buckeyes were up by a touchdown, even though they were still down by one point to end that half in the Sugar Bowl. 
Yeah, absolutely. And maybe one of the best catches in a, a game like that ever. Uh, the Michael Thomas able to get that foot down and the throw was a really good throw too under pressure. Wasn't like it was an easy layup. Um, obviously Ezekiel Elliott was, it was huge in this game. Um, kudos to the coaching staff again. I mean, we lose Tom Herman to, to Houston Cougars, but uh, uh, between him and Urban Meyer and Chris Ash and Luke Fickle and Larry Johnson, they're earning their money right now because they, they're the ones here in these last couple of weeks that got these guys focused, got them ready to go, and put the players in the best position to make plays. And uh, Like I said, hats off to those guys. Yeah, and we made the point that Ohio State had a more talented roster, but you're talking about the coaching staff. you got guys flipping switches at the right time. So, you know, talent meets execution combined with preparation. You know, Ohio State was just, you know, the the guy, there's so many guys at Ohio State that, you know, five-star, four-star recruits, but they literally are now maximizing that God-given talent and then also combining football intelligence with it. It, it. it gets no better than you talk about a guy like Devin Smith, you know, showing what he can do with his speed and talent. We saw Jalen Marshall coming across the middle of that Alabama zone coverage and just sitting down in the spots catching the ball. I mean, and then you got to talk about the job of the defense. Darren Lee and Michael Bennett, Darren Lee – looked like one of the smartest football players out there. They showed that breakdown of him kind of spying Blake Sims, and then you saw him just blow through the line, and that was because Michael Bennett had created space. Um, We saw Steve Miller struggle a little bit on that right side, and we kind of wonder what Lane Kiffin was thinking about going away from Derrick Henry, who was ripping off some big runs behind Cam Robinson on on that right side of the line of the Buckeyes defense. But, you know, and Joey Bosa was on the left side, so they kind of, you know saying, kept him away from Cam Robinson. But then we saw Steve Miller step up of being in the right place at the right time, so that means the coaching staff knew what play was coming there. So Steve Miller drops back in the, in the coverage and then makes a great pick six. And so to see a guy who was kind of getting beat up a little bit that game and then come back and make a great play like that when definitely the Buckeyes needed it in that second half, it just was huge. And uh, one other guy i got to point out is Corey Thomas, who – you know, had the ejection penalty in the Big Ten tournament, a uh, Big Ten tournament, in the Big Ten championship game. But he literally covered special teams, and he was all over Christian Jones. Like the guy was, he was, he literally, Christian Jones might as well have been wearing a Corey Thomas jacket every time he went back to catch a punt or a kick because Corey Thomas was all over him. So shout out to Corey Thomas on the special teams and the Buckeyes. And I know you want to talk about special teams as well because the uh, kicking game played a huge role in field position. Yeah, absolutely. The the MVP and maybe the best player that we've seen all year uh, for <laughs> to play against Ohio State was uh, freshman putter for Alabama, J.K. Scott. Uh, man, that guy was – every time he touched the ball, I was nervous that we were going to end up at the one-yard line, uh, bombing 70-yard punts and then also uh, able to stop him on a dime. Uh, punters are incredible nowadays how good they use how good they are uh and you know there's some at some point uh in that game i'm sure there was a guy at the president's office at youngstown state with a shitty grin on his face uh and that would be jim tressel and congratulations to coach tressel as he'll be entering the college football hall of fame this year uh that's if you're keeping score at home Every head coach Ohio State has ever had since 1948 is in the College Football Hall of Fame, except for Luke Fickle. 
Ah, I forgot about that. I was when I saw that stat and everybody was touting that. I was like, that, that can't be true. Somebody, it's not. Yeah, no. Luke Fickle still got time to get there. Lord knows what he's doing right now. He, I mean, he's earned me back. You know, what I'm saying halfway. So I mean, he's got plenty of time to get there. Uh, <laughs> you never know. You never know. You never know. No, no, he might no. Get right. I was laughing at the halfway comment because I'm about the same way. He's got me back. <laughs> I'm never all in. Never all in on Luke. <laughs> Hey, I'm behind a guy 100% right now as we go into this uh, national championship game, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, just the, the, It was just a tremendous performance. And I think one other thing is the strength and the the, the ability not to wear down against a great Alabama team who play that tough schedule in the FCC or so-called tough schedule in the SEC Ohio State was the stronger team, as you talk about through the whole game. And Urban Meyer even tried to put it on these guys and go up by 21, three scores with that last two minutes and kind of gave Alabama one last-ditch chance. Uh, but we saw another great play on an onside kick by Evan Spencer. Um, you know, it just, you know, Ohio State just, you know, I mean, flat-out dominated Alabama in the trenches, dominated them in a running game. We saw Ezekiel Elliott with over 200 yards, never had happened to Alabama. And they bracketed. You know, one the best the best receiver in the country, hands down, Amari Cooper. They kept him to under 100 yards receiving. So they they did it on both sides of the ball. They did it as a team. We talked about Corey Smith in the special teams game, and shout out to Cam Johnson who had some great punts and a couple not so good ones. But they did it as a team. They overcame adversity. And Cardell Jones got to say his performance. The guy just, he didn't want to make the mistakes. He threw an interception, had a couple bad throws, but in a lot of cases he pulled that ball down and he was making the right decision. So you you just got to say, you know, once again, the coaching staff had these guys prepared and they just went out there and executed, and you love to see that in your football team. Yeah, that's a great point. Cardell Jones, you know, especially early on, was very apprehensive and didn't want to make the mistake. Yeah, you know, almost to to a fault where you, you felt like just go ahead and make a play, you know. But uh, he, throughout the whole game, he 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 really did a good job of taking care of the ball. I mean, we talked about the the interception, and but that's going to happen. Um, but for the most part, he didn't force balls. He was making all the right throws, and he was throwing the ball on the money. So. I mean, geez, oh, man, how many other schools, any other, forget schools, how many teams that play football could ever even imagine having their third guy be as effective as Cardell Jones has been this year? Yeah, and I, I think it's a little bittersweet because I, I, I said Alabama's secondary wasn't ready. I said that I said the secondary wasn't that good and their defense wasn't that good. Defense as a whole in the SEC this year just wasn't that good. And, you know, we, we transitioned a little bit from the Sugar Bowl. We're so happy for the Buckeyes and what they did there. But this isn't your grandpa's Alabama, but it's still the Alabama team that everybody propped up. Ohio State's just better. I said it, you're saying, I said it after Ohio State beat Michigan State. I knew they were the best team in the country, flat out. We saw them get into the tournament, be the fourth seed, and take out the number one seed. And now they're in the national championship. And they got a chance to take out, you know, the number two seed. So you got to ask a lot of questions when you come to this college football committee. Where are these the best four teams in there? I think we had three of the four best, but I don't think we had the full four best. And when we look at that, we look at what Oregon did to the Florida State Seminoles. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. No, that's fine. You, you just you mentioned having three of the four, and I understand that in hindsight, yeah, it looks like 
Florida State didn't belong there. But I can't fault the committee for putting the defending champion who hadn't lost the game in two years in there, despite the fact that their schedule wasn't that good and the ACC itself wasn't that good. Um, for, for To not include them would have been a big problem because there's no finite way of saying, okay, see, I told you Florida State didn't belong. I think going into the future, though, now, and if the Big 12, I know we can answer a couple of these questions all at once. If the Big 12 will straighten out their issues of having a national champion, um, they might have got in above Ohio State. But with Florida State now, I think it proposes, if you play in a weaker conference, even if you go undefeated, you might not make it into the college football playoff because they need to be looking at teams playing the best when it comes to the end. I'm not saying put a two-loss, like, you know, team in above somebody that's undefeated or something like that. But if you've got a team with one loss that looks like world beaters like the Ohio State University, you can't keep a team like that out because it really would be unfair. Um, you And we talk about – we'll talk about some of the performance. We're going to do a bowl game wrap-up show, talk a little more college football. But we'd be, we'd be, we got to talk about the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl – TCU blows out Ole Miss 42 to 3. I mean, and then we know what the Big 10 did. Huge wins by Wisconsin, Barry Alvarez and Outback Bowl over Auburn. The overtime win 34 to 31. Congrats to the Badgers. Way to snap back after uh getting throttled by the Buckeyes 59 to 0. And then shout out to Sparty and Michigan State who I thought there was no way they were coming back in that Baylor game. Then they, they started being like the little engine that could, and they, they kept riding that train. And D'Antonio with some fine clock management and some just great, great plays by that team. And Connor Cook, it was like the tail of two quarterbacks because that guy played like garbage in the first half and then came out and played like a different guy. So shout-out to Medina's own Connor Cook and helping that Sparty team get a huge win over Art Biles and the so-called best of the Big 12, the Baylor Bears. Yeah, and those two teams set the stage on New Year's Day for what would be the SEC takeover from the big by the Big Ten. Um, you know, Barry Alvarez comes out of uh, the athletic director's office once every three years when a coach leaves uh, to coach the bowl game. So congratulations to him, um, you know, uh, not having Gary Anderson and having him leave in the way that he did uh, was definitely unfortunate. But I think they got a good guy now, and Paul Christ, and he's a Wisconsin guy and knows the area, so he'll be very good. Um, as far as uh, Michigan State goes, I, Dino might be the most underrated coach in all of football. Uh, the guy just gets so much out of his players, and it, it just it, – like you mentioned, the clock management, it just the the way he, the game goes and way he calls a game. Uh, and I know there's a lot of coordinators and all that sort of stuff that are calling plays and stuff, but it, he just, it feels like he's in such control and sends such a clear message of what he wants from his kids and puts them in good positions. So uh, hats off to Mark D'Antonio. I asked you this question. If we had a constellation game, which it was, it was an 18 tournament, how much would you like to see Michigan State, Alabama? Because considering what – I mean, Michigan State lost to Ohio State and Oregon, the two teams in the national championship. I mean, Mark D'Antonio mm-hmm. and that team have an argument to say that they're the number three team in the country. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think they'd be just fine against about any team in this country. You know, I'd, I'd give them a coin flip on anybody. Um, so – 
you know, the, you look at that team, to go into East Lansing in a night game in that situation, I mean, that's the best win of any team in the country all year, I think. For Ohio we talk State about that. to go in there. Yeah, we we congratulate Sparty that Cotton Bowl victory. First of all, that that also was an instant classic. Uh, I mean, but all those games, it, it was a great day of football. That's one thing that you did get. wasn't happy about the schedule with that Outback Bowl being on at the same time as the Cotton Bowl. I mean, I don't. Yeah, you know, we got to figure out a better way for that. And even with the Rose Bowl, when we talk about the beatdown that Oregon put on Florida State, it was, it was a tight game going into halftime. Florida State had, did fight back got themselves back into the game. But uh, Oregon just came out, and, and they were helped out a lot by Florida State, who might as well change their name to Fumble State University because the way those kids were putting the ball on the carpet, they were giving Oregon a short field and letting that high-powered, quick offense get uh, short fields. You're just not going to last long. And clearly we can see by the final score. Um, you know, a lot's been made about the way that the Florida State team walked off the field, the Oregon you know, taunting uh, Jameis Winston. Uh, very, very sad situations. Uh, you saw sad sportsmanship. You saw bad sportsmanship. And then, you know, I, I thought the chant was a little innovative uh, considering the timing of it. And, I mean, when you're beating somebody like that, you're going to get stuff like that. And Lord knows Jameis Winston has heard worse from the different crowds. And, of course, we saw worse signs on game day all year. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, we with an Ohio bias, we never endorse it putting uh, domestic violence or uh, uh, rape or whatever uh, as a joking situation, but it, it wasn't a situation where I think the kids were joking about that. It was, this was directed at Jameis Winston. And uh, at the time, uh, I, it was for a second, and I didn't mind it. I actually thought it was kind of funny and creative, like you said. Here, here's the other thing about that, too, though. Jameis Winston is still delusional. Uh I don't know what reality. I think he lives in a little bit of a bubble because the guy walked into that press conference afterwards, and it's just something that sticks out in my mind. The guy said your game could have went either way. Your team has five turnovers. You have one of the most awful turnovers that turns into an instant meme on the Internet, which you slip sliding away and the ball slipping out of your hand, and you walk into a press conference and say the game could have went either way. That's just, you know, so, uh, but shout out to anybody that gets him in the NFL, and you know we'll be breaking down the possibilities and where Jameis Winston, what kind of quarterback he'll be at the next level. We'll have plenty of that for you at WAOB, but it's time to get into the big one, the national championship. We're talking Dallas, we're talking Jerry's World, AT&T Field, January 12th, Monday night, 8 p.m. The Ohio State Buckeyes will face the Oregon Ducks, and first off, we talk about the uniforms, Oregon will be wearing white. Your Ohio State Buckeyes will be wearing the scarlet uniforms. The Ohio State Buckeyes have a not started classes. The student athletes has not started classes yet, so they had a full week of practice with no restrictions, unlike the Oregon Ducks who were on the regular NCAA schedule because they started back to school after the new year, so they were limited to 20 hours of practice. Um, you know, that's been some things been made about that controversy. Oregon did not appeal for a waiver, but the NCAA said they wouldn't grant one anyway. They had issued a statement. So uh, Ohio State's been rested and practicing all day long, getting ready for this national championship. And uh, two other notes, Devin Allen, the receiver, is out for the Oregon Ducks, and Darren Carrington, the other Oregon receiver, is out due to a failed drug test. So he has been suspended by the NCAA and will not play in the national championship game. And Ikpe Fe 
Olamu is also out, the Ducks uh, receiver who had tore his ACL prior to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, and those are huge losses. Um, lots going to be asked from Dwayne Stanford, the sophomore wide receiver at this point now. He's basically the only uh, wide receiver that anybody's heard of on the team right now at Oregon. Um, I mean, I think that the biggest thing about this game going forward is it, it, I think the speed is equal. I think – the size and speed is the big advantage for Ohio State, and that's what we're talking about in the trenches. We're talking about the size at linebacker. I just feel like we—I know we are—we're the bigger team, but I think the speed matches up very similar uh, to Oregon, and I think that's a lot like what happened with Alabama is going to be the key to being able to control the game. Yeah, it, you, you talk about Oregon's receivers, and, you know, both, the you know, Stanford and uh, Farrell Brown, the Ohio products, are out there at Oregon. They weren't really recruited by Ohio State heavily. Um, Dwayne Stanford from Cincinnati, he's had a great year, 37 receptions or so, six touchdowns, and then Farrell Brown uh, also with six touchdowns. Those guys are going to be key for Marcus Mariota. You make a good point talking about the strength, and I I think the Mariota or the Mary name that you want to watch is not it's not Marcus Mariota, but it's Mickey Mariotti, uh, the Ohio State strength coach. What he's done with this Ohio State defensive and offensive lines and the team in general, we see how well the receivers block, and you just see the 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 physicalness of the way that these kids look. This guy's done a great job preparing these Buckeyes to be able to go and play this long into a season that's never been done before. This is an unprecedented thing to have this extra game and to have the season go this long. So for these student athletes to have to do this is also something to be said. And I think that pays dividends considering the physical road that Ohio State had to go through. They got one of the I mean, probably always known as the biggest lines in the country at Wisconsin as run blockers, and they shut that run game down uh, of Wisconsin. Then you go against Alabama on both sides of the line. They send guys to the NFL. They don't send guys to get, like you say, a cup of coffee. They send starters to the NFL. You know, um, five guys already announced that they're going to the NFL from the Alabama Crimson Tide. You know, it, it's it's just one of those things. So Ohio State went through those two gauntlets, and they came out healthy. They came out healthy. You got to say something to the strength and conditioning coach of, of Ohio State, and I think it's going to be a huge key. The silver bullets on defense are going to have to make Marcus Mariota go through that first and second read. Um, one of the things that Mark D'Antonio said about playing Mariota was that they had him in a couple third down situation, third and longs, and stuff like that. And he has this fake out that he does where he he holds the safeties and things like that. So Von Bell. And, you know, the corners back there, uh, Von Bell and Tyvis Powell got to make sure that they're paying attention to come up when Marcus Mariota tries to take off running because I think that's the real key to the Oregon offense. It's not so much him passing. It's when he's able to run. Yeah, and uh, that's a big part of stopping the run and also uh, influencing him when he's making passes is this defensive line. Uh, and Joey Bosa is going to have to make more plays. I know he was double teamed a lot, and he wasn't moved around a lot against Alabama, and some and other guys made plays because of that. But the left side of this Oregon offensive line is very good, and they need to be able to show these guys different looks and have different people on top of them. And, he, I mean, he's the best player on your team, so uh, especially on the defense anyway. 
And so he's going to have to come out and play one hell of a game and open up plays so that Derek Lee and these other guys can get uh, get a hold of him before they get into the, before Mariota gets into the second level. I think we're going to see uh, Ohio State use a lot of that depth, so we'll get to see Richard Frazier, uh, number 17, look out for him to come in the game at some point on that defensive line. Uh, Steve Miller made the great play last week. We hope to see more of that from him. And uh, I'm looking for a big game from Adolphus Washington. This is a game where he needs to step up and, and be a difference maker, along with Joey Bosa, as you said. The other key to this game, I think, with Ohio State is going to be Eli Apple and Doran Grant, those guys, you know, making some plays out there because uh, you know they're going to throw the ball. And, uh, you know, as much as Marcus Mariota has rolled up stats in that offense and that system out there, he's put some throws up for grabs. And definitely uh, the Ohio State has been very opportunistic in the games coming into this and definitely have to take advantage of that in the national championship because that definitely can help the offense get to a short field, which you know what the offense can do when they do have the ball. Then when we talk about offensively, um, it, it, we know we need to establish Ezekiel Elliott, but I'm sure Oregon is going to be gung-ho and ready to stop Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, so I think initially we need to loosen that up with either Cardell making some easy throws and getting Jalen Marshall involved. I love that uh, it's almost like a reverse play where Jalen or any wide receiver cuts in front of the, the quarterback. That way it's a forward pass if something were to go wrong. I think spreading these guys out initially is going to open up some lanes up the middle for Ezekiel Elliott as the game goes on. Uh, so I, this game is going to come down to turnovers for sure uh, if it's lopsided. If one team has three turnovers and the other doesn't, I don't think that team's going to win. Uh, so Cardell's the guy that has the inexperience, and he's going to have to continue to do what we were just talking about against Alabama making good decisions, taking care of the football, and still being able to play loose and make plays. Yeah, and Oregon runs that 3-4 defense. They got great defensive ends in DeForest Bucher and Eric Armstead, um, but they do allow 413 yards. I mean, they play in the Pac-12. We know those schools put up points. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. And they do have a great linebacker in uh, Tony Washington. But you're looking – you're you're looking for Cardell Jones to get that ball in. We we got to get the ball to those playmakers. Got to go deep and stretch the field on them, because uh, I I know they're successful just like Alabama was. So we're going to see Evan Spencer and Devin Smith and Michael Thomas, you know, running deep, and definitely Devin Smith. If Devin Smith, you know, starts that game with a a, a huge deep ball in that first half, we know what the, we know what the statistics are that Ohio State is likely to win the game. So we see that play, you know, we're going to be going nuts as Buckeye fans and definitely excited about that. Um, and then at that point, I mean, as long as Ohio State can disrupt Oregon's flow in offense, not so much try to shut them down. They're going to get their plays and whatnot, but just disrupt what they like to do, and that's the timing of their offense. I think that's going to be key. Oregon loves to get those plays off uh, 2.74 seconds of play is what they average. So if Ohio State can disrupt that and get that to three seconds, maybe yeah, anything like that, that takes them out of their rhythm, and I think then that gives the Buckeyes a chance to impose their will against uh, Oregon Duck team. And this, this we, we talk about this Oregon Ducks team. You know, one of the games to me that stuck out, they were down to Wyoming after the Michigan State win uh, that they had in Eugene. They were down to Wyoming 14-7 uh, to 7, uh, to start that game out going into the second quarter. And I, was, I remember looking at the score, and I'm like, what is going on, Wyoming? You know, 
But Oregon does not get out to a fast start. They they won over a Washington State Cougars team, Mike Leach, the old pirate, uh, that next week, 38-31. to 31. Then they lost to Arizona that following week. Now, we know they had the offensive line problems, like you said, before during those times and those first five weeks. Um, but, you know, they then have a, a hell of a game with UCLA. They win by 42-30. to 30. Um, they pace they pace the Washington team, but then they have another shootout with Cal, where that defense gave up 41 points. Um, you know they hit their stride a little bit after that. Of course, we know what they did in the Pac-12 championship against Rich Rod, but even against Rich Rod and against Florida State, the first half of those games is not where Oregon won. They came out of halftime and then blitzed those guys and scored uh, 21 plus points in those third quarters, and that was the difference of how they won those games. So they break it open in the third quarter. Ohio State, we know we got the best coach in the biz when we talk about the matchup of Urban Meyer versus Mark Helfrich. Ohio State will be ready with the halftime adjustments for that blitz from Oregon, but hopefully Ohio State will be up and they won't be playing from behind in this game. And you, I know you said the, that blitz happens often in the third quarter, but, it, I mean, I, I, it really can happen at any time. This team, it, it reminds me of a basketball team almost, like that goes on a 15-2 to two run and you didn't get your timeout in quick enough. Uh, they score in a bunch, and, and that's how you kind of get buried on these guys. And so a big key is going to be to respond to any score that they have. We've got to avoid giving up 21 straight uh, with a turnover mixed in. Uh, it's going to be very, very critical not only to the the time of possession, but also to avoid that those spurts that you're talking about. Uh, to make sure that even if you don't respond to the score with a score, that you're at least going out there and putting a four-minute drive together to uh, to give your defense a little bit of a break. There's no question. Um, you make a great point about that. And we saw that in Alabama. If they did what they did against Alabama, um, you know, not taking anything away from Alabama, but I, I definitely think, yeah, they would play themselves because Oregon just better – scoring they're just a better scoring team i mean so you, you you would see ohio state be in a dangerous situation i think ohio state's definitely got to play from ahead and i think we'll see that we get off to a fast start four guys and we've been off to fast starts all this year um just a couple games we didn't get off to one was uh the penn state game the second possession we had was not good and then it carried through that first half um and the same thing against indiana but other than that we've gotten off the fast starts in the games we needed to uh we talk about wisconsin michigan state you know, so it, it it's definitely key that they do that, and I think these Buckeyes will be ready to play. I think they'll be ready to play in all phases of the game and ready to impose that strength and presence that they have. And also, you know, much is made about the duck speed, but Ohio State's not going to lose in the track meet here. That's not going to be what happens. Um, and this is, you know, they're – I think one of the other keys to me is Ohio State's gotten very comfortable. They got to play in the Superdome, which was a huge venue, uh, and they also played in Lucas Oil Stadium, huge venue inside a dome. This will be the first time the Oregon Ducks this year play inside a dome. So it's just one of those things. Ohio State, they've been there the last two games. I think that gives them a certain comfortability level of knowing what's going on. Uh, And then we'll see Oregon, how they respond to that as far as turf matters and just, you know, the the actual field conditions where we talk about uh, heat and cramping up and things like that. Bottom line is Ohio State's a better team. They've been a better team all year. They're playing the best football of any team in the country. they got the best talent uh, throughout their team. I'm liking the Ohio State Buckeyes here, 42-28. to 28. 
Yeah, and as you were talking, uh, and I, I kind of had the same type of score in mind. I, I think that for the same reason. I think Ohio State just top to bottom has the better roster. They're equal in speed, and they're bigger and more physical. And I, I just, you know, there are just too many injuries, too many things going on with the suspensions. Uh, and Ohio State, and this is kind of a big point too, Urban Meyer and Chip Kelly are very good friends. They exchange ideas. They have been for a very long time. He knows Mark Helfrich very well. Uh, so it's almost like looking into a mirror, but with better personnel. So I, I think that's going to be a huge factor. And having Urban Meyer just alone, who, you know, he just beat the quote-unquote best coach in college, uh, so the, maybe the second-place coach that they were talking about might be the best coach. I'm taking the Buckeyes as well. 42-28. I think we have a consensus final score. And come Tuesday, we will be hungover and celebrating a Buckeyes national championship. Three last points why I think the Buckeyes will win uh, are just three points in general. Uh, one, Urban Meyer wants this game. Urban Meyer wants this game very much. We'll talk about Urban Meyer's legacy future uh, on future podcasts and whatnot. We'll put that into perspective for you. But just go to in the Sugar Bowl how much Urban Meyer wants to win. That that call on the roughing the kicker, uh, they called it running into the kicker instead of roughing the kicker. And we saw Urban Meyer toss the headset <laughs> into the into the 10th row of the Superdome. So, yeah, I mean, you you know this guy wants to win and you saw the intensity there. He's kind of, you know, kept it bottled up on the sidelines and behind the scenes, but he finally let it out there on that on that call, on that play call by the referees. Other key is we talked about it and congrats to all the uh inductees of the College Football Hall of Fame. Um Bill Schneider of course, the coach of Man Happiness, the wizard down there, uh, shout out to him and what he's done for that program. And we have all the utmost respect for the Kansas State Wildcats. The Brian Bosworth, the Boz, is going in. So shout out to Oklahoma State, the Pokes. I mean, Oklahoma Sooners. Jesus Christ. But Jim Trussell, not only is getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, but Jim Trussell will be at the coin toss to start this national championship game. So we will see the vest. I know this guy's got to wear the vest. I mean, I will be so pissed off, you know what I'm saying, if he doesn't come out with a vest on, sweater vest on, um, Ohio State sweater vest on. It, to have Jim Trussell there, I think we see the perfect passing of the torch from one great Buckeye era to the next, from Trussell to Urban Meyer with a little Luke Fickle sprinkled in between, whatever that was supposed to be. Um, it, it's just it, – some things are just uh, – Perfect moments and iconic, and these are Tress's last recruits, the senior class for Ohio State. So I think that's going to be great for him to be around the program this you know entire time, and you know them celebrating him. And I I know they they celebrated the team and whatnot and the way Trussell left, um, but now and in being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in this moment and seeing Ohio State Buckeyes get back to the national championship and see the program continue and to grow and become the elite of the elite. There's a, there's an argument for Ohio State to be the best program in the country if they win this national championship, which we believe will happen, and we will da- we will damn sure make that argument afterwards. But um, I saw the news that Jim Trussell would be out there to do the coin toss, and immediately my thought was there's no way Ohio State's losing this game. 
Ohio, Jim Trestle's not coaching the team. We know that. We had Urban Meyer's coaching his team. And, but the two things that Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle, besides being a little bit far apart from where they're from, uh, Ashtabula and the Northeast Ohio area, Youngstown area, uh, being very close together, these two gentlemen know what it means to be a Buckeye, and they believe what it means to be representing the Ohio State University in the state of Ohio. And that's the most important thing. These young men have shown that they can overcome adversity. They've shown their athletes. I mean, we talk about the journey that Cardell Jones had to get to. We've chronicled that on the podcast. We talked about Jalen Marshall being from the same hometown as Chris Carter. This is what Ohio State is meant to do. This is why we love football. Football was created in Ohio. And now we're getting to showcase the best of Ohio's athletes combined with the best of Ohio's coaches from past and present. The Ohio State University will win the national championship. As always, go Buckeyes. Enjoy your Monday night football of the college variety. Buckeye Nation, Buckeyes follow Buckeyes. As always, go Bucks. Let's win this game. O-H-I-O. I couldn't see that again the other night. I do was that again. Kind of just, Which one? Just go, just do O-H, and I'll do I-O. O-H. I-O. Yeah, we'll end it on that. Getting a little misty, talking about Trestle and Urban Meyer. You know what I'm saying? Uh, You don't tell me, man. I saw him. He was on my radar with five national titles for the Penguins. No, I'm just saying, but this whole thing is so, it's it's the best moment in sports. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's it's full circle. It's like the circle of life has come back to make it all right. What happened with Jim Tressel leaving, and now it's we've arrived at this moment. It's uh, yeah, it's incredible. But the thing is to believe. I believe this. I believe. This I do too. When, <laughs> yeah. When they, they I, 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 I got to get this one point because I'm going to use this. I told anybody who would ever listen, when Urban Meyer was even mentioned as possible coach, that he was the guy. Being there, leaving that last sugar bowl in disgrace after it came out, the tattoos and the jokes people got to make and whatnot, not self-imposing restrictions, going through the first year of Urban Meyer, having to, you know, being able to go undefeated, not play for Can you imagine what that team would have did if they had a college football playoff then? Yeah. Then Crazy. people last year questioning whether or not Ohio State should it was good enough, you know, and then they lose in the Big Ten championship. I never wavered thinking Urban Meyer was the guy for this job, unlike a lot of Buckeye fans. We're not going to go into that right now. But simple fact of the matter is they're back where they belong. The Ohio State University is back at the top of college football, and it's not going anywhere for a long time. I want to get this point in. Actually, you hear uh, to your to add to your point of Ohio and uh, Ohio State being the center of the national uh, college scene. There's a lot of people who talk about the shifting demographics and why the SEC is better and and the Pac-12 and kids want to go to warm places and you know every game's on TV so you don't have to go to a big school. Ohio State will always be great 
because if you look around the country, there are a lot of Ohio kids sprinkled into every program in in pretty much the nation. And there's one thing that won't change, and that is we're going to get Ohio kids. And it doesn't matter if you're down in Florida and California and Texas playing football. They're great schools, great states for football. Ohio is one of those schools, if not the best of those schools, when you're talking about the complete package of players coaching. And it's going to be a very, very satisfying moment when we hold that new trophy up and are the champions of the college football world. I gotta see that. All right, let's get this NFL show done. We're gonna do this one faster. We're not gonna do the coaching carousel and none of that garbage. So. We're not going to talk Browns either. We'll just do a straight NFL. We'll figure out. What yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll try to do it I mean, clean. Yeah, I'll just try to. Yeah, try to do it clean. I mean, we can talk about the Browns. I don't know. We can just. Uh, we'll talk about the Browns and then who we want for OC. Actually, we can do that. Okay. We got a bunch of shit in hand. Can't even go past that. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Our NFL preview show. I am D, Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Columbus, and we're talking NFL playoffs. All right. As we do in our NFL show, we give you a quick recap. We're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns and what's going on with those guys and then we're going in and giving you the picks for the huge playoff weekend. We start with the the wild card weekend. We saw the Baltimore Ravens put it to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh, 30-17. to We then also saw the Indianapolis Colts stay lucky over the unlucky Cincinnati Bengals. The Indianapolis Colts win and protect Lucas Oil Field. 26 to 10 over the Cincinnati Bengals. The Detroit Lions go on to Dallas and hold on, I'm going to say that one for last because we can talk about that real quick actually. The Arizona Cardinals have no quarterback and have no chance against Super Cam and the Carolina Panthers. The Carolina Panthers beat the Arizona Cardinals 27 to 16 and controversy holds on Rolls the day. No, 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 no. Controversy rolls the day. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm trying to find it. Damn, I can't. I was going to make a Chris Christie joke. Um, oh. More controversial. Uh, and then in Jerry's world, more controversial than what Chris Christie had for breakfast in Dallas. The Dallas... The Cowboys defeat the Detroit Lions with two bogus calls, 24-20. to 20. Jake, we got to talk about what happened in uh, Big D. What were your thoughts on the 
so-called not holding call on Dominican Sue and then the subsequent pass interference call that allowed the Dallas Cowboys to win that game. Yeah, usually I'm not one for, you know, a ref cost the game or one play changed the game completely. But in this case, it clearly was. Detroit was going to win that game, uh, if not for that pass interference. And um, for for Dallas to be able to get there, you know, it, it, it maybe it's, Maybe it's their year um, because the, they should have lost that game. <laughs> I mean, Detroit had them beat, and they let them off the hook. And Tony Romo on fourth down gets it done, and uh, Cowboys are heading to Lambeau for an epic matchup this week. Hey, the NFL came out, said they missed the they missed the holding call on a Dominican Sue, and then subsequently they come out and say, well, uh, the pass interference call looks kind of okay. Clearly, it was pass interference. I mean, I don't know what we're talking about when you're allowed to start face guarding in, in the NFL whenever that started to become a rule. So people throwing out these outlandish terms. Bottom line, the Lions got what they used to say in the business, jobbed, okay? Let's just be honest. But they lost, and that's the way it goes down sometimes. It's not my team, so I ain't going to make a whole stew about it. You're not going to hear an hour of me screaming about it on the podcast. Um, you know, sorry for the Lions fans. Sorry for the Detroit Lions. Dallas Cowboys are victorious. And uh, uh, Chris Christie, so-called Cowboys fan of all time, looks bad hugging in that loge. So. I, had, I had to do a double tape to make sure Joey Crawford wasn't the official for that football game. We move on to the Browns news, the Cleveland Browns news. We all know, uh, of course, now that uh, Kyle Shanahan has parted ways. The the Cleveland Browns have parted ways with Kyle Shanahan and also Daryl Loggins, the quarterback's coach and the offensive coordinator. Uh, Your thoughts on Kyle Shanahan leaving the Cleveland Browns? I went through ups and downs with Kyle Shanahan. At first, I was excited about him coming in and bringing a zone-blocking scheme. and It seemed to be paying off early in the year. And Then we had the whole musical running backs, and I wasn't a big fan of that. And Obviously, that didn't help anyone. Ben Tate got shipped out. And there were definitely times where I questioned what he was doing and what he was trying to accomplish. And then there were other times where I thought that it was very creative and a good way to come out and get going. So uh, as far as an overall grade for the year for him, you know, it was a solid C. Uh, As far as moving on without him, you know what, It, it might be the best thing because obviously there was some bad blood with the way he went out of town. And, uh, you know, I don't want anybody that doesn't want to be here to be here. So uh, good good luck to him, and uh, it was uh, uneventful. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan, has, uh, Kyle Shanahan has interviewed for the Buffalo Bills head coaching job. He's possibly rumored to join his dad. He's in San Francisco as offensive coordinator, or even now the Rams. He might go to the Rams and be offensive coordinator. So clearly he just wants to be anywhere other than Cleveland. Um I thought he needed to simplify his game plan a little bit, but, you know, all that stuff's moved. Um, Some of the things coming out, the Browns are being investigated now. It's possibly one of the things Kyle Shanahan had had a problem with. Somebody was sending text messages down to the sideline, which is a a violation under NFL that you're not supposed to have any type of communication device on that sideline. So somebody was wrong for sending the messages. Somebody was wrong for receiving it. So, uh, and that speaks to other issues that we'll get to later in later podcasts with, about the Cleveland Browns. So, and we'll leave it at that. And uh, wish Kyle Shanahan well. 
Um, one of the things he's had problems everywhere he's went, but I was I I was happy and I wanted to see where we were going to grow to. Wanted to keep that stability with the offensive coordinators. We know now this was the fourth one in four years. Um, some of the guys out there that possibly could be the next Browns offensive coordinators, but the names you, you kind of like to hear is Mark Trestman, maybe Greg Roman uh, with San Francisco 49ers, maybe not. Uh, Mark Filippo, the uh, Raiders, the Oakland Raiders, QB coach is one of the names out there. And, of course, Charlie Weiss of Notre Dame, New England Patriots, stay getting money, stay losing fame. Mark Trestman is the one that intrigues me the most. Uh, you know, he's longtime head coach in the Canadian Football League, former Bears head coach, but more importantly, former Cleveland Browns coach, uh, was pretty much Bernie Kosar's mentor uh, and has a strong relationship with Bernie to this day. And it would be nice to see if Bernie could get – it would be almost like a, a stepping stone to get Bernie more involved back with the Cleveland Browns. And there's no doubt that Mark Tressman's a good coach and knows football. Uh, so, and and also you bring in a very solid uh, quarterback coach with Tressman and Matt Cavanaugh. So, I, I, to me, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, one name I just thought about, and I've been a big fan of this guy for a long time, somebody I would go pluck that does have NFL experience. I would go get a Cam Cameron. I would look at some of these college coaches uh, you know, some of these offensive minds out here maybe look to that as well. So, because we got a young football team, not so much as I don't want to bring a guy in to work with just exclusively Johnny Manziel. I just want to bring in a system. And I think about the young running backs that we got and stuff like that. I think that would be exciting for uh, the football team to inject some life into it. What I'm looking for the Browns to do is to keep Mike Pettin for a while and then find an offensive coordinator that can grow with him as well. So, And hopefully this is somebody that Mike Pettin now is hiring and not hired before he gets the job, So, unlike the last situation. I have an idea of someone, and it might sound really out there, but he's on the payroll. How about North Turner? Still coaching in Minnesota. Is he? I, I thought they. I thought he got fired, but uh, maybe I'm uh, wrong. Did he get fired? I don't know. I'm not up on the Minnesota. What's happening? So. I don't know if we can bring nerve back. He 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 said some things about the uh, ownership. If you remember, on his way out. He yeah, I don't. Remember, I didn't remember that. Yeah, so he didn't. He 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 didn't mince words when he left uh, the Cleveland Browns about uh, how they run things here. So I don't, you know, I don't know how Jimmy Haslam took that combined with the fact of who was there. So, well, if LeBron and Dan can get over it, <laughs> yeah, that'd be fine. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed <laughs> to it. So I always thought he was a better coordinator than he was a uh, head coach. So. All right, Saturday, Sunday, NFL playoffs. Let's get into it. Let's make these picks. Saturday, 4 o'clock, we've got Saturday, 4.30, we've got the Baltimore Ravens going into Foxborough. And, whoa, Nelly, bring your booties. They will be facing the New England Patriots. It'll be 26 degrees, 10 to 20 mile an hour winds. I've uh, I, I'm on record as having New England winning the Super Bowl this year, so uh, my pick is New England. But I think that Baltimore is a team that's made to go up there and, and give up big troubles. So obviously, they have in the past, and it, if we know anything from these matchups, it's going to end on a field goal. Uh, Baltimore obviously has got to get pressure on Tom Brady. 
make him stay in a small area to, to throw the football and take Gronk away as best they can. Uh, and then on the offensive side, they're going to have to be able to run the ball. That's the one advantage they have on New England is, a, is the running game of Justin Forsett. Uh, the secondary is obviously susceptible for Baltimore, so if you give Brady time, it's going to be a long day. Uh, I think Tom Brady gets enough time. I think it is a close game, but I think New England ends up winning. I got the Patriots 28, Baltimore 24. Well, we got some great matchups in this game. So we know the love lost between Brady and Terrell Suggs, T-Sizzle. Um, but Suggs and Doomerville will be coming after Brady hard. You know, they led the league with 29 sacks combined. That defense, they've been huge with uh, Elvis Doomerville. Uh, they've been huge with getting a loading out of back, so that defense looks a little bit better. But we know that they have six defensive backs out, so that you make a great point of who's going to cover Gronk. And they've got those rookie linebackers. We know C.J. Mosley of Alabama. And then, of course, Will Hill for the Ravens. Uh, you know, that's what the Pats do. They like to get the ball to Gronk. Uh, their running game, which they always find some way to way. Maybe, jo- maybe Jonas Gray gets another big day uh, since we never saw him again for our fantasy football lovers out there. When we talk Baltimore Ravens, that receiving core, Steve Smith Sr. and Torrey Smith going against Brandon Browner and Darrell Revis is going to be a great matchup. And Joe Flacco, we know, is unflappable in the playoffs. Uh, who's going to be the best quarterback today is a great matchup. I mean, will it be Joe Flacco not throwing interceptions or Tom Brady, the golden boy? Um, one of the keys to me is going to be the Baltimore tight end and then also Jacoby Jones coming through the slot and on special teams. Uh, we saw Baltimore win a Super Bowl with special teams, so I think that's going to be a key to the game's day. Uh, today, that's going to be a key to today's game. I like the Baltimore Ravens over the Pats for the upset um, to win the game. Did you say a score? Yeah, I gave 28-24. Yeah, I, I like the I like the Ravens to to win twenty four twenty one. So. Sunday night. No, Sunday night. Saturday night. The Carolina Panthers go to the Pacific Northwest to the Emerald City. Is that George Carl with that Seahawks flag, the 12th man, CenturyLink Field, the Legion of Boom, they take on the Seattle Seahawks at 815. We're looking at 43 degrees and a 60% chance of rain for this game. The argument I keep having in my head is, is Carolina what we've seen in the last five weeks, or are they a below 500 team that's in the playoffs playing in Seattle? Um, the odds makers say it's the latter, putting Seattle as an 11-point favorite with a over-under of 40 points. Uh, the longer this week has gone, the more I, I, I think that that's the case. I think Seattle's just at home especially, such a dominant team. And, you know, if Cam's at all banged up and can't run the ball and is forced to sit in the pocket and throw the ball, I know that the, these Seattle corners aren't the. I mean, they're great, but they aren't unbeatable. Uh, but at the same time, Calvin Benjamin's been quiet, and I just don't see Carolina being able to score enough points with Seattle. Uh, they, Seattle's been there, done that. They know how to do it, and they got a great quarterback in Russell Wilson, uh, who's also a threat with his legs. Uh, I'm picking Seattle in this one, pretty good. I'm going to take Seattle, 31. Carolina, 10. Yeah, I I, I definitely think uh, somebody's been uh, 
Seattle blows a team out every year. Uh, there's on the way to the playoffs or in the playoffs, and I think Carolina is just that team. Uh, we wish a speedy recovery, and we hope he's all right uh, to Philly Brown, the Ohio State Buckeye product uh, for the Carolina Panthers. I I also don't see any way that uh, Cam Newton and those guys get past the Seahawks. I will I will give them a credit though. I I say the Seahawks win twenty eight to seventeen. So I, I make it a little bit closer there. But, yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to be one of these games where it won't be a question who's going to win this game. We go to Sunday. And, oh, Nelly, the best – the the past meets the pre, the past meets the future. And this battle of quarterbacks, the Indianapolis Colts go to Mile High Stadium to take on the Denver Broncos in the best weather game of the week, 40 degrees in Denver. And Green Bay in Lambeau, really cold. Yeah, it just has the feel of uh, the Packers. We're talking, Denver, the we're talking, hold on, hold on. We're talking Colts. Oh, Broncos. I'm sorry. I was thinking of something else when you were doing the intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 1 o'clock game is Dallas-Green Bay. So you want to do them in chronological? Oh, my bad. I just had my notes messed up. I had it messed up from what I did the other day. You're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, my bad, my bad, my bad. The Dallas Cowboys go in to Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. You better have hot chocolate, hand warmers, and earmuffs because it's 19 degrees with a windshield of zero in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm really looking forward to this one. This sets up seemingly perfect for Green Bay. Cold frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Uh, you know, you're you're pretty healthy outside of one big key injury. We don't know what Aaron Rodgers is going to be capable of. He's got a bad calf. He's got a tear in his calf, and he's going to play. But for how long, we don't know. And I'm not sure that Green Bay anyways – has the same person has as good a personnel as Dallas. Dallas is built for this more than Green Bay is. Green Bay is going to want to throw the ball a lot with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Eddie Lacy's had a subpar season this year for the most part. Um, Dallas obviously has the best running back in the league this year, DeMarco Murray. Tony Romo seems to have maybe gotten over the hump of uh, always seeming to let down after big wins. I think Dallas is actually going to go up to Green Bay and win this game. The best wide receiver in this league is Ben Des Bryant uh, all year, and I think he's going to make a couple more plays than Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, and Aaron Rodgers. I got the Cowboys winning 31-28. I agree. We don't know the status of uh, how – we know Aaron Rodgers will play, but, you know, that tearing that hamstring. Um, the one thing Dallas has the advantage is they can run the ball with DeMarco Murray. And when it's that cold, nobody's going to want to really uh, tackle anybody and keep hitting that hard, cold ground, uh, even though these guys have played millions of dollars. I know uh, it, it's one of those things. I think Dallas, with, between behind Zach Martin and those guys they brought in, can wear down the uh, Green Bay defense. And, uh, you know, by the third quarter, some people aren't going to want to keep going after DeMarco Murray and jo- Joseph Randall. So with that Dallas rushing attack. I like Dallas as well over Green Bay. Um, I'll take Dallas. We'll take Dallas. Dallas wins 24-17. to 
17 over the Green Bay Packers. Sunday afternoon. The present meets the future. The Indianapolis Colts and Andrew Luck take on Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos in the best weather game of the week in Mile High, Denver, 40 degrees temperature. And that's a huge break, I think, for Denver uh, with Peyton Manning. Obviously, we know his history and his struggles in outdoor games uh, in late in the year. Uh, Indy's one team that can score with Denver, though. Um, I think the difference is going to come down in this one to Denver's D being a lot better than Indy's D and uh, the fact that Indy really has no running game to speak of. Uh, Trent Richardson has been relegated to special teams duty. Boom, Heron can't hold on to the football. So all the pressure and all the, everything's on uh, Andrew Luck's back. And, yeah, he's great, but he can't do everything. I think I'm a little bit nervous about uh, what I've seen out of Payton the last few weeks, whether he's going through some sort of dead arm or he just doesn't seem to have the same zip on the ball. But he's a savvy veteran. He'll be able to get the ball in the right spot uh, enough. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty high-scoring game. I'm going to take the Broncos here at home, 35-28. I think this one's going to be the – exact opposite of everybody thinks. I don't think it's going to be that high scoring, and I think it's going to be a lot of turnovers, and I think that's going to come from the Colts. Andrew Luck has shown that he's going to try to force the ball uh, against a great defense that the Denver Broncos have, led uh, led by former Cleveland Brown T.J. Ward, and, of course, our guy, Ohio State rookie Bradley Roby back there in that secondary. There's no way Andrew Luck can get away with that in the running game. I mean, they know what they want to do is run. Um I like the Denver Broncos with C.J. Anderson. No matter how much Manning struggles, they can run the ball. They're playing at home. they got the home atmosphere. I don't think the Colts are ready for that, and I don't think they can match that intensity. I think this one's going to go to the Broncos in a, in a huge uh, blowout. I go Broncos over Colts 21-7. Uh, to 7. That has been our picks for the NFL playoff weekend. But now we go in the book with Jake for our best bets. Welcome back inside the book. Uh, last week in the wild card round, uh, put out four Twitter plays for you guys. Went two and two. Uh, no harm, no foul. This week, uh, obviously, you got the scores, but let's talk about the lines for a second. Uh, New England is a seven-point dog, or I'm sorry, seven-point favorite uh, at home against Baltimore. Um, obviously, I think New England's going to win this game. I just, I, I don't think it's uh, worth thinking you can get away with betting more than seven points on it. I think if I were going to play the game, it would be Baltimore plus the points. Um, and also, I think that total at 48 is pretty sharp, uh, 48 being a key number. If you can get over 48, I think you might want to try the under, but uh, I wouldn't try the over in this game. Carolina at Seattle. Um, Obviously, I think Seattle's going to blow out Carolina, but that's a lot of points to lay in an NFL game, especially in the playoffs. And like I talked about, we don't really know what Carolina is. Are they that team that we saw for those first these last five games, or are they what they are in that uh, under 500 playoff team? 11 points, I'd stay away, um, but uh, I like Seattle to win in a big way. Dallas at Green Bay, uh, this one, obviously the health of Aaron Rodgers was a big deal. So that automatically takes Green Bay out of play for me as far as making a wager. Uh, I think I would be taking Dallas plus the points. 
This game is at six right now. Uh, the total of 52.5 seems pretty close. Uh, I think the, the score is going to be right around there. And then finally, Indy at Denver. Uh, Denver minus seven. Uh, I think this game is pretty much right there. Uh, I have 35-28 as my final score prediction. Uh, if, you, if you're D and you got a little bit more uh, faith in what Denver can do, and uh, they go ahead and lay the seven, but uh, that's a lot of points also, and you never know what Andrew Luck can do. And uh, good luck this week, and keep cashing. All right, well, get the chips, get the dip. And get those brats on the grill because you got a huge days of NFL. You got two huge days of NFL football. So in so enjoy the NFL playoffs and love football. I got one more thing I'm gonna get in the Buckeyes. You think I should do the Twitter love again? I gotta try to find these lists. You got it handy. Two things, we talk about the Buckeye experience down in New Orleans, and the Buckeyes took over. One of the things I don't think a lot of people realize, uh, during the New Year's holiday, uh, New Orleans makes it mandatory uh, for those folks to have a three-day hotel reservation. So a lot of Alabama fans were trying to be cheap and only come over for the day of the game. Well, that's why you see it look like Ohio State took over ESPN's coverage. If it was Feinbaum on SEC Network or their uh, college football daily, you saw Ohio State everywhere. And uh, shout out to the Ohio State uh, Buckeye staff and everybody that works down there because they moved that Buckeye experience out there right behind the ESPN set as well. So that was a huge thing. Um, And shout out to the folks in New Orleans, which we know New Orleans and Baton Rouge which is not that far away, about an hour away. So most of those folks are LSU fans, so they hate Alabama as well. So they welcomed the Buckeyes back to New Orleans with open arms. And a lot of those folks were repping the Buckeyes by wearing hats and things like that, the bartenders and servers and even the cab drivers. It was known – I heard the story that uh, even after the Sugar Bowl win that an Alabama fan couldn't get a cab or taxi in New Orleans to save their life. So uh, we love the way the folks are down south and uh, definitely especially the hospitality. And shout-out to all the Buckeye fans who took a little stop in Tuscaloosa to throw up the OHIO or to hang a T-shirt on a Nick Saban statue uh, in front of Brian Dennehy Stadium. We talk about the Twitter love for the national championship game, and we just want to shout out some of the folks out there. Uh, we we love all the followers and all the people that support WALB, but we're just giving some shout-outs and some Twitter love to the huge Buckeye fans out there and the members of Buckeye Nation. We start with our guy, Mass Juice, uh, on Facebook and on the IG. Uh, we know he's got the – he's got the uh, – I forgot what you call the mask. Oh. Luchador. Yeah, he's got the L, he's got the scarlet and gray El Luchador ready to go for this one. Uh, shout out to Randy Lister of the Ohio State Buckeyes Facebook group, Joe McBride, both uh, the Facebook group, and then the four one nine Joe McBride four one nine Buckeyes follow Buckeyes uh, at Scarlet Sapphire on Twitter at Narina Henry on Twitter, our guy at Gary Norris fifteen on Twitter. If you ain't a Buckeye, you ain't shit. At Hang On Sloopy OSU. Uh, our guy Brian in Twinsburg at B Sakes, he had a hell of a tailgate going on at home for the family with the ribs and the brats and the and the hot dogs. Uh, 
for the Buckeye Sugar Bowl, so we know he'll be cooking up something special for this one. At T. Gert, at Barry V. One, at Scooby Twenty Six, at Miss Michelle, at K. Four G S G Dark Task. We know this guy's all fired up. At uh, B. A. Bengals fan, she's got the she's been rocking that heel as her Abby all year long. The Ohio State Buckeye heel, a uh, high heel, so that's great, Abby. Uh, at our Pro Cert, we thank you for your service and also always rooting for the Buckeyes. At Kathy Buckeye. At Paulie Baby, at Maiden underscore RW, who loves to give us the history lessons of the Buckeye greats. So shout out to the great Jim Parker, who he says is the greatest Buckeye of all time, uh, Buckeye football player of all time. We. Give a shout-out to At Hot for Food, who's always got the Buckeye T-shirts and the gear ready to go. She's got one of the funniest accounts going. Our guy at E-Train Sports, who is up in the Northeast, but he's a huge, huge Buckeye fan up there in the Boston area. I love when people get into these arguments based on something that we retweeted or something like that, and it looks you for a second you think they're arguing with something you said, but then you realize right. they're arguing with, like, three other people. Yeah, it's, it's like, the funniest thing to me. Yeah, it is to me, too. Because I'll read something, then I'm offended, and then I'm like, oh, that's not directed towards me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they just tagged us because we were the the in, the intermediate. <laughs> yeah. We got... Uh, At Georgia Buckeye, that's what it is. We got the Buckeyes getting smoked by Indiana. That's, I, that's why I was watching that game. That's why I, I messed up that whole Dallas pick because I was so upset with what I was seeing from the Buckeye basketball team. <laughs> that's why I was just like, man, I don't, you know, like, um, we got at Miss DJ Flynn, Georgia Buckeye, at Bucknuts fan, at Frank and Akron, at the Chris 109, at Central Ohio Girl, at Suzanne Scotty, at Scarberry John, all huge Buckeye fans. Uh, Fluffy at Silent the Deal. Oh. At the Deal, Fluffy, huge Buckeye fan. I mean, we we love all the Buckeye fans out there and we know everybody's so fired up for this national championship. Might as well pepper this thing with shout-outs if we're going to do it. People like the shout-outs, I know that. Yeah, throw out it, throw out at the end. Uh, if we missed you, we still love you. And let us know, and we'll get you next time, something like that. <laughs> that way we don't offend anyone. Oh, man, I listen every week, and they never shouted me out. <laughs> no, I got to everybody. I just kept forgetting to do it. At Drake underscore OSU. Oh, no, that's a, no, I gotta cut that one. That's not, now we're just. I was trying to go through our followers recently. Got people. At Lisa Evie Saul. No, there's one more listed I can get to real quick. I'll do it. Maybe, maybe not. 
at NJL45. Forget it. That's enough. So uh, if we missed you, you know we still got a lot of love for you. We we're united in the scarlet and gray. No matter what other teams you root for, if you root for the Ohio State Buckeyes, you know we love you. Uh, we're nuts, and we are definitely, definitely excited about this run that the Buckeyes have. We and you know we appreciate everybody being on board all year. We had some tough weekends, had some tough nights, uh, definitely some bad Mondays. But you know what? It's all paying off for this Monday when the Buckeyes are in the national championship. All right, man. We're that done. was good. That was good. Anything else you right. think we need to? No, I think that was pretty good. All right. The NFL show will be up fast. I'm just going to put that together. Um, I'm trying to get it right. done before the time period. Um, and I'll send you links. Just tweet it when you can. And then I'm going to get this Buckeye show done tonight, too. So. All right, man. All right, later. Later. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.